Welcome to the first ever podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Bohm. This is an extra special episode today because it ties into the excitement I had last week announcing the new Touche Amore album entitled Lament. We also released the first single, which is called Limelight, and it features my guest, Andy Hall. He most notably sings for the band Manchester Orchestra, but he's also a part of Bad Books with Kevin Devine and has a solo project called Right Away, Great Captain. I've known Andy eight years now, and if you followed Touche Amore long enough, you know that I once sang about the night we first met on a song called To Write Content. There's a really cool arc to our friendship, and though I'd call us pretty good friends at this point, I still learned a hell of a lot about Andy during this conversation that I truly had no idea about. So I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much for being here. This is the first ever podcast. Andy, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's absolutely. a total honor. I loved the first two episodes. I just saw you um, put up a third with Will. I'm stoked to hear that. Yeah, it was really fun. Will is really easy to talk to. Have you met him before? I've not, no, but I've like uh, traded files with him working on records that he's worked on, you know? That's what, that's what I would have assumed because I, I know you've worked on some of the, maybe some of the same bands together. Yeah. I mean, I did like a vocal on the newest, the last thing that I, I think maybe the only thing, I don't know. I feel like he's worked with like eight of my friends. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but I just did something on uh, the Tiger's Jaw record. And uh, so we were, we were doing stuff back and forth. Got it. Got it. Yeah. It was funny when I was just making the post right now on my personal account. Um, I was like, oh, what bands do I list? And I, the first ones that came to my mind were all bands that started with T that were friends where it's like, oh, Turnstile, Tiger's Jaw, Title Fight, like <laughs> Turnover. Like, of course. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So I know we talk, we've you have now like a general idea about what the what the show is, just, you know, first experiences and things like that. So um, we can basically just start right at the gate with uh do you remember what your first experiences just with music in general was? Um, yeah, I think it was, it was definitely church music, you know, or Christian music. Um, like I was always super drawn to the more, to the stuff with harmonies in it, you know, like I remember there was some Christian, um, acapella band. I can't remember the name of it. Maybe glad. Um, but that was kind of my thing. I liked like the four voices on top of each other. Um, and I always got really into harmonies when I was younger. So I would just try and figure out all the different things that I could sing over top of those records. Um, my folks were like, I think because my dad was a pastor and they were relatively young, like my mom liked cool music before, and I'm sure she still liked cool music during that time, but she wasn't really listening to it. And, uh, so you know, the, the oldies that I was listening to back in the day weren't like the Beatles or Bob Dylan or Paul Simon. It was like Chicago and the firm soundtrack. It's <laughs> 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 <That's laughs> a weird eclectic and Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's funny. I was just flipping through, uh, what to watch last night and i scrolled past the firm and i was like i was like man i haven't watched that since the 90s and i thought it was like two and a half hours long and i was like not tonight not tonight cruise my dad was obsessed with the firm soundtrack dude i swear to god we listened to the firm soundtrack more than anything else what's actually on it it's just piano (laughs) it's like yeah it's like really kind of cool jazzy tense piano did anyone notable do it probably 
I have no idea. Um, but I did end up getting it for him for like a Christmas present on vinyl a few years ago because <laughs> he likes it so much. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. So I think a little bit of my musical stuff was, was repressed um, for a bit. And then when my parents kind of both really lightened up and uh, probably when my dad stopped being a pastor, um, I started to discover some other music, you know, and I was always sneaking like hip hop and stuff like that. Sure. What I didn't, um, I guess maybe in my head, I'd always assumed that he, he had continued to be a pastor up throughout all of this. When did he stop being a pastor? Right when I was about to go into high school, um, we were living in Toronto, Ontario, and he was the son of a pastor. Um, and I think he had some conviction about it, you know, just like he wanted to move us back to the States where our family was from. And he also didn't, I don't know. I kind of feel like he was looking at me being like, this isn't going to go great for him if he <laughs> stays a oh. pastor's son. <laughs> wow. <laughs> there's a lot of kind of, uh, I don't know, you know, a lot of bullshit um, spotlight put on you in that in that position. You know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And then, so, so, yeah, he go wasn't ahead. a pastor then for a really long time. Sorry. And then just to finish that up, then in the last couple of years, he has started a, a pastoring again in, in Marietta, Georgia. I can only imagine the pressure. I have two friends actually whose whose fathers were pastors and um, I knew them a lot through their teenage years and they're quite rebellious and had quite quite a quite a rough streak, both of them t- totally separately, you know, like from completely different worlds, different backgrounds. Yeah. Um, so I can imagine that's that's tough because it's like you have a standard to live up to within your community, probably like not only just with your, what your parents are expecting of you. Sure. Right? And it's not a fair one, you know? And so I think yeah. that was really more of it. And then as my parents got more lenient with me and they were like trustworthy of me, I didn't have as many feelings of like wanting to rebel, you know, mm-hmm. which was, uh, I mean, I surely still did. I don't think you like end up in a band without rebelling <laughs> in some way. Would you sure. agree? <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. 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 Well, it's, it's sort of your basic- part of it. Yeah, especially if you plan to take it seriously, you know? I think, right, exactly. Like, I can yeah, do I think, this for the rest of my life. It's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> it took, oh my God, yeah. Like, when uh, when I had left my last band and then was starting Touche, I remember, because I started Touche when I was like 24 or something, or 25. Right. And I remember just my my folks and my my brother even just being like, really? You're, you're really? Just gonna, you're going to just do this again? Like, you're going <laughs> to... Again, huh? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it worked out so well that first time. This is, this is, this is your plan. Yeah. yeah, But that's it, man. No backup plan. I mean, that's the whole point, you know, it's like, uh, I remember my mom telling me that back in the day once, you know, I decided in years had gone by and she said, she'd asked me, you know, like, what else are you going to do if if this is going to work out? I was like, I'm literally going to do nothing else. I'm going to do this forever. So, at what age did you get, say, your, was guitar your first instrument or did you yes. play like a, like a wind instrument? No, it's just straight to guitar. My grandmother was a like, classically trained piano player. My grandmother and grandfather were in a gospel trio and made records like crazy. They put out like 40 albums. No way. Yeah. I actually have a ton of them in my uh, garage. I'd love to give you some of them because they would add to your, you know, fascinating collection. Yeah. Um, I would love to hear and that. And they're all super cool looking, you know, like unintentionally. Um, so they were called the joy makers. And so my grandmother, um, tried to give me piano lessons for like a year or two. And, uh, it didn't, it didn't take, I just couldn't, uh, I couldn't wrap my, myself around the educational part of it at all. And, and, uh, that's still like a really difficult thing for me. I've like learned 
the idiot savant way of doing it now that when it comes to piano. Um, but that was my guitar is my first instrument that I, I learned once I learned a power chord, you know, and it's like, okay, I think I can start cooking here. Yep. Yeah. I was just, uh, one of, one of the guests I had, I, I talked about that where, yeah, when I started playing guitar, it was like, here's some, you know, here, we're, lesson four, we're going to start learning to read music. And I hadn't been taught the power chord. And that same week, a friend taught me the power chord. And I was like, see you later. Lessons. I'm in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> see you later. Too good for this town anyways. Yeah. Yeah. And my, and my playing never got better. It just, it <laughs> stuck with power chords. And there you go. That's, that's what brought you the theme song to this podcast. <laughs> but that's only because you weren't playing power chords live every night. I fully believe if you had been playing guitar every night, Sure. in your band like I, I just by sheer force of doing it i became better you know mm. and it, was, it was a bizarre thing like never taking lessons um and just getting better by doing it again and trying to do different things you know what was your what was the first guitar was it the the squire strat or what what did you have <laughs> very close acoustic was the first one it was like a yamaha um you know kind of your standard yamaha 100 buck acoustic um and the first song was, um, well, there were two that I learned on the same day. Song two by Blur. It's a classic first riff. It's like the uh, Smoke on the Water for 1995, whenever that song came out. <laughs> Everyone wanted to play it. Um, and then Machine Head by Bush was the oh. second one that I learned. Kind of all you can play it on the same string if you need to, you know? Right, right. Do you, do you, uh, I remember that I, I remember, I think my first experience being like, these, this band just ripped off this other band was, um, Glycerin and When I Come Around from Green Day. We're like, oh, it's, it's like the Green same. Green Day's a total one for me too, with, um, it's a Chicago song. I'm going back to Chicago because that was so ingrained in my head forever as a kid. They're my Beatles. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, Chicago is sick. Um, but yeah, their song 25 or 6 to 4 was so similar to that Green Day song that was like, I'm having trouble trying to sleep. Uh, it's like, da na 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 na, da na 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 na, da na 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 na, da na 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 da na you know? Yeah. So Green Day are both of ours. Um, yeah. Are, they, they copied them. I didn't see it coming. So did you think Glycerin copied Green Day? Is that how it happened? I, I think it, I think for me it was just like oh they're like the same thing music's easy <laughs> you know what I'm saying like you could just spice totally. it up and play it a little slower or something like that but um, yeah no I, yeah man now that I think about it, Green Day has got a few of these they did a the American Idiots like a Dillinger Four song and then like uh, the there's another song off American Idiot that I realized is like a Molly Crew song good for oh, them wow. for just not giving yeah. a fuck who cares yeah fuck it. Um, I think the first person, amazingly for me, that I realized that where music's easy kind of thing was Dylan in the funniest way. It's like I heard Girl from North County Fair, Country Fair um, and Boots of Spanish Leather. And they're the exact same song, just like we're in a different capo position. Same exact vocal melody, same exact structure. Um, but the lyrics are completely different and they tell these two both really sad stories but that was when like manchester was making our very first record i remember hearing those two and being like i was so worried about copying myself i don't know if you ever had that it's like of course we have <laughs> that's the fear um of repeating um and that kind of gave me a little freedom it was like it's okay it can be the same chord structure like just do it if he did it right do yeah it. 
how now that I mean, this is we're, we're getting into the nitty gritty of not even first experiences. Now I'm just curious about this with with uh, with that. How now that you're on the this the one you've been working the the next record or whatever that would be yes. number like what like six six you count okay. hope it'd be seven but I feel like Cope and Hope are the same thing so yeah this yeah, is the like sixth a, yeah so at that point or at this point when you're writing lyrics shall we say mm-hmm. are you meticulous about even words do you get that crazy. Like, oh, I've, um, I've rhymed these words before or something like that. Maybe not with rhyming, but I mean, in general, themes, you know, are something that I kind of get freaked out about at times. Sorry, I think I have Fast and the Furious driving around in my neighborhood. I'm in the burbs right now. What's going on? Um, <laughs> I think uh, it's been more, I, I generally kind of write about the same thing thing i think which is like the pursuit of being a better person and the terrible things that happen along the way um in sort of a grand scope and then mixed in like a relationship with god and family and and friends and all that so i feel like kind of the basis of what i'm writing whether if it's in stories or examining relationships um i do try and find better ways to to tell those stories or better or different ways maybe not better or uh, different angles to to look at something there was a period of time, though, specifically nitty gritty, where I realized I was using the word eventually on way too many songs. And I think I took it out of my arsenal for like seven years. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> see, it's the, it's those things that when you catch, you're like, oh, fuck. Like, what am yeah, I? Yeah, I'm saying eventually all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you realize, it's, I don't know if you're this crazy, but sometimes when I'm writing lyrics, and I hate to admit that I don't always do it in a notebook. A lot of times it's it's uh, it's on the Who old laptop. Who cares? Yeah. I, I don't I, care I had, about that at all. Yeah. I had someone <laughs> tell me that, oh, you know, you can't do it in a laptop because uh, you're quick. You're too quick to self edit. Like it's just right there. You it's can just erase something. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for being that for, for being the part of my brain that wants to yell that. But yeah, exactly. You know, I you know some, what I do is I pull up that? two sheets left and right. And like I just write in like text edit and I pull up one on the left and one on the right. And one on the left, if I really like something that I'm doing and I've come up with like, let's say eight verses or eight, you know, lines, then I just copy it and put it to the right and keep it in the left and then hyper edit the left and see how they compare to each other. You know, and at that point I can kind of go, okay, I, I was right that this needs to change or on the right. It's like, yeah, the original idea was cool. Wow. Okay. That's, that's awesome. I like that. Um, right. Yeah. I remember I listened to, there was a great, uh, podcast on talk house, which was, uh, Connor Oberst interviewing Matt from the national or vice versa, like just them having a conversation. And I was like, well, I could take a bath in this conversation. Oh, that's awesome. I'll enjoy this. (laughs) And, uh, and yeah, I think it was Connor was saying that like, he'll pick up an acoustic guitar and just start, start playing and, and, uh, and humming along. And eventually that humming kind of turns into like, Oh, that kind of sounds like a word. What's that word. Mm. And then from that word, like what, like what rhymes with that word? And then he just, you know, that's kind of where it starts for him often. And I was like, wow, it's that easy for you, huh? Damn. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm curious if it would be like that for him every time. That would be like a great blessing, you know, because sometimes those things appear and then other times it takes a very long time for a song to, to materialize. Absolutely. So was, so we could segue this way. What was the, what was your first actual band? It wasn't man. It wasn't the what became Manchester, was it? Or is it, it was, similar members? Yes, yeah, similar members. Three three dudes from my first band went on to be in Manchester. Um, but it was a band called East on Autry, which was a 
the direction you would go into my parents' neighborhood where I lived. It's like your pretty classic directional band name. Yep. <laughs> uh, that band lasted. The uh, first show was Halloween. Last show was Halloween. Went to no, full no. year. Full year. Um, oh, oh, I thought you were saying the same night. <laughs> grand opening, grand closing. No, we made it a year. Uh, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and then, yeah, Manchester was like a total so- solo project that I think I started before that band ended. I mean, I was 16 when I started, 15 when I started the first band and 16 when I started Manchester. Um, so, of course, no idea that it was going to be anything. Um, but, you know, it just, yeah, that, it, my bass player for my first band eventually ended up joining Manchester and then uh Chris Freeman who was a keyboard player in Manchester Orchestra was the drummer in my first band. Oh wow. Okay, cuz I remember him playing like percussion eventually on yeah, tour. Yeah, he was a yeah, great so. drummer too. Yeah, it makes sense. He is. He's a great drummer. Um okay, so and then at what point did Manchester kind of become more of a full thing where it was where you were ha- having multiple people playing and, and that kind of a thing well like uh my what would have been my senior year of high school right before that i played a battle of the bands and i was re- it was just a total lucky thing where i played we lost the battle of the bands actually um, to, to who what kind of band won tell me right now you remember <laughs> oh of course i remember that. they were my friends and i remember their band name they were terrible <laughs> um, <laughs> what was it called and what did it sound like you're gonna love what they were called oh hit me sweet lucy brown what it was what? a really weird their version of punk rock was being like we're gonna be like the black crows it was just sort of like southern rock sweet lucy brown they took it from me um which you know like my buddy harrison hudson who was the guitar player in my first band was the guitar player in sweet lucy brown and my uh Bass player Jay Corley in Manchester was also in that band. So it was a bunch. But anyways, we lost. I'm not at all bitter about it anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what if it was your what if it was your 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 psyche motivation for everything you've done? Every since? show. Yeah. Sweet Lucy yeah. Brown. <laughs> Fuck you, sweet Lucy Brown. <laughs> um I uh so during the show, apparently, um an associate editor at Paste magazine was like on the judges table um for the for the uh the battle of the bands and he really liked our set and uh asked me to go get chinese food with him like the next week and we went to this restaurant and i kind of laid out this idea of like these concept records i wanted to make that ended up being the first things into ride away captain and um, wow he offered me a like pretty much a record deal without me having to sign anything pace had just been bought by a media company and had some money in a like they had pace records at the time and he was basically like I don't think anybody else at Pace thought that I was good enough to actually sign, but they were all nice enough and believed in me enough to help us out. And so they like, you know, bought us our first like real guitar amps, like a DeVille and a Vox and like a bass amp and like helped us print our first thousand EPs and paid for us to make our first record that never came out. And that was what was going to be my senior year of high school. And my folks, God bless them, they knew how much I hated school and there was this opportunity and I needed like four credits. And so they let me homeschool myself and make a record that year, um, which was an incredible and like very humbling experience. Cause I didn't know anything about making an album. You know, I just made like EPs or single songs and, and dudes apartments and stuff. Um, 
So we made this record that never ended up coming out. We took a couple songs from it and put it on an EP and wrote a few more and members change. And I guess it was sort of, we played Pace then asked us to play their uh, South by Southwest event in, I want to say, 06. Yep, early 06. And that, I think, was the first time then that, like, you know, there were people that wanted to manage us or lawyers that were interested in talking to us and, you know some small record labels kind of sniffing around. Um, do I try to keep telling the story? No, <laughs> yeah, no, no. I'm, I'm, this is interesting. Yeah. I'm curious. So, cause um, I've, I was, I was wanted to ask what, cause I know, I mean, it's always struck me. I don't even think you and I've ever had this conversation, but I don't think we have either because favorite gentleman is an, is your own label. And mm-hmm. what, what was canvas back? So yeah, we'll get that. That comes like, in the next year and a half. So 06, we finish at South by, we find a guy who wants to manage us, um, who we're still close with today. Um, he ends up kind of helping us make this record, which becomes, I'm like a virgin losing a child, um, for really cheap with our friend, Dan Hannon. We have a lawyer and we're making this record for like five grand. And the record ended up like being pretty good and a lot, whole lot better than people thought it was going to be. And it started circulating and like people started enjoying it. And then it got into the hands of uh, a guy named Don Van Cleve, who was running at the time, the coalition of independent music stores, Sims. And uh, he and uh, this, this guy, Eric from Tower Records. I mean, I cannot stress how important independent retail was to this band, like completely um, for the first like several years. You know, these guys would like order records from us from our house CDs from us and we would send it to them and we'd sell through, you know, a couple hundred CDs a week. And we're like, Oh my God. And then that's sort of when it started to, you know, and this is, I'm like a virgin, virgin losing a child. So like, yes, yes. So, so we're so totally independent. Okay. Um, so there's like a, so, so if I was being a collector nerd, there's like a, like a CD version of it, like a first press of it that doesn't have canvas back and the, yes. all that on it. Okay. And interesting. Just, and hilariously, before we signed our deal where basically Favorite Gentleman signed a partnership with Canvasback, which was a label at that time underneath Columbia, now underneath Atlantic, um, we bought 5,000 CDs of I'm Like a Virgin, and it was like literally as digital started to happen. So we still have like 3,000 CDs. So if you want, if you are a CD collector, just like hit me up. I'll send you a bag. And that's not just for you, dude. That's for anyone listening. Just hit me up. <laughs> we got to get this shit out of the garage. Uh, wow, man. That's <laughs> So anyways, that's really we end up kind of like getting uh, what Canvas Back was, was a dude, Steve Urbowski, who um, was given a label underneath Columbia and Sony. And uh, kind of the only way that we would sign a deal is if we were given you know complete creative control and our own label to release stuff, which we were able to release like some killer records like Kevin Devine's Brother Blood and I'll Get Out the Season. And, um, you know, and now it's really become more of a community and like, helping artists you know take steps rather than like a full distribution kind of thing but um yeah that was I, sort of the the very beginning of it all i remember from the i mean just being a record store guy and and just a, a music mm. fanatic in in so many ways i remember I, I mean i remember getting i'm like a virgin losing a child in 2006 and falling in love with it super quickly that's so cool and, and but i remember from you know record store brain you know music snob brain where i was like 
this seems like an like like this seems like an upstream deal and it seems like this band has their own label like but where does this come you know where is this coming from like how, like that's really impressive and then the next record came out and it was still on favorite gentlemen and i was like they're like self-releasing their own thing but they have like mass distribution like this is incredibly impressive for such a young band like well, dude, we were so worried about being screwed because everybody who ever talked about working with a major label said the same thing. It's like, you know, they're going to offer you a million bucks and then your record's going to sit on the shelf and it's never going to come out and your career's ruined. Like we saw it happen to Atlanta bands time after time after time. So we were like, fuck that. You know, we're going on tour and we're going to be DIY. And, you know, just, I mean, it's almost this, like Rob and I talk about it a lot, this like youthful confidence that comes in handy sometimes and can get you in trouble sometimes. <laughs> I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But there was, you know, this feeling where we were like the same way with making me and everything. We just had this chip on our shoulder and, and in a lot of ways still do probably just more maturely. It was just like, if you don't like it and you don't want to do what we're asking, we're totally fine doing what we're doing right now because we're selling records and people are interested in our band and we're getting towards like, we didn't need a label to like, help the momentum of what to help give us momentum we had momentum so we just started looking at it like super transparent with them going we're just looking for help and if you want to help that's great and we we get to decide what you know we're gonna do and there were some insane like moments of you know like rick rubin calling my cell phone when i'm like 20 and being like you, you can pick the singles, you can, you know, like, we, we don't care. Like, we just want you. It's all good. And I'm like, all right. Oh, my <laughs> <Dude>. God. <laughs> yeah, that's some pressure. And, I mean, I'm curious what, if there was a, a certain thing that instilled sort of the DIY ethic in your band, like, did that, did that come from punk rock or did it come from just the wanting to have control because i i feel like there's two different angles there because some people yeah. find the diy ethic from being like a hardcore kid and you know listening to weird seven inches and stuff like that but i also think that there's the other side where it's people who just genuinely want to have the creative control and they can just throw those three lovely letters at at people and be like no nah, man we're gonna do it ourselves because it, I totally mean, i remember uh, when you when you know you guys were nice enough to let me go crash at your place uh, a few years back when I was going to attend oh, yeah, the funeral. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, that was yo, know, Andy. To this day, that was one of the the nicest things ever. Um, oh man, my pleasure. You are always welcome. So when I went, and I remember Rob, uh, Rob and Chris picked me up, uh, or or met sorry met with me at your at the place that um, you all work out of, rehearse out of, and everything. I remember just being in there and being like, they have a room where they they're printing their merch here. They're shipping their merch here. They practice here. Like, like this band has everything figured out, you know? And that was so <laughs> cool to see. Cause it's like, yo, abandon your level and not to, you know, blow smoke, but like most bands just have a merch company that handles everything and like, you know, whatever. Right. But what was it that drove all of you to just be like, we're going to handle it ourselves. Well, I think it was a really nice combo of the drummer of our band at that time, Jeremiah Edmund, did come from the hardcore scene, and so did Robert, uh, my brother-in-law and still guitar player of the band. Um, but Jer was, like, extremely hard-headed, fuck everybody, like, who's in our way, and I just really loved that. You know, I looked up to that mentality, and I realized quickly that as, as, as awesome as it was, that Paste was going to help us. And we were so fortunate for that. I mean, who has that kind of story? I'm, that is not lost to me at all. But I realized also, like, that was going to be it. You know, like, there wasn't going to be anybody else that was going to do anything for us to make this move. Um, 
and I wasn't about to wait to get a booking agent to start booking shows. And I think just my personality and the kind of like, I want to get it done. And, you know, I feel like I, I, I like making friends with people who are cool, you know, and I'll, I'll still remain friends and loyal to someone, um, as I meet them. So I think my personality worked with like meeting bands and setting up tours. And I mean, a big band that was big for us during that period of time was Colorable, um, as they were first starting. And I like went out and sold merch for them and they were doing $5 a day PDs at most and making 80 bucks at merch a night and playing for 15 people. And that totally influenced my way. If I was like, man, these guys are having the time of their lives and they're doing it completely by themselves. Um, so I think it was like just a lot of influence in that. And, then the combo of like not wanting anybody to have control over what we're doing. And that's been a hard thing for me. Like I'm in a really healthy relationship with our current label that we're with, with Loma Vista. And that's probably the first time I've been with a record label that I like, I appreciate their opinion and I'll like listen to them because I do believe they have our best interest in mind and they aren't trying to turn us into something that we aren't. And in fact, if they have a better way of us accomplishing goals that we have, you know, I want to take that. And that was something that took me a while to get out of my, to find the right people and also get out of my youthfulness. Cause I was definitely a big, like, fuck the label guy, even though I would be on a label. Right. No. Yeah. No, I understand that completely was. So was your first tour experience, uh, selling merch for color revolt? Yes. Yes, it was. Okay. Yep. Awesome. And how did you and link up with them? Cause they're not from Atlanta. They're from, they're from Mississippi, Mississippi. Um, that's right. They had, they used to be a band called Fletcher. So I did the actual first ever Color of Old tour, um, like that as, as that band. Um, my friend Andrew had gone and played a couple shows. He was in a band um, the summer before what would have been my senior year. And he played a, a show with them and he knew my music taste and he bought their record for me and brought it back and said, I don't really like dig this that much, but I think you might love it. And I fell in love with this record, like unknown band, you know, the feeling of like, no one knows these dudes and I can't believe how good it is. Um, right. So I wore it out all summer long and then just got the nerve, you know, to send them a message on MySpace, MySpace or something yeah, I was gonna say, was played MySpace? a show with them. And then it was like, we liked them. I was like, what do you think if I come out and sell merch for you for free? And you know, I'll bring my own sleeping bag. They were like, yeah, man. And I, I will forever. I tell them this all the time to this day, how grateful I am that like, they definitely did not need to bring me. Um, and they just taught me and they treated me as an equal. It was a really uh, sweet thing. And also another shout out to a band who taught us a lot of ethics was Anathalo, the Michigan band. And they were friends with Color Revolt at that time. And those two bands really took us under their wing and kind of showed us. Anathalo was like an eight piece. So the way they were getting by as a DIY band was like fascinating, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's shoulder to shoulder in a van, likely without a trailer. I'm assuming if it's like a first tour. I think they had a tiny trailer, but they're like barely any seats in it. Like everyone just kind of lay in that van. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've never really thought about this, but I, I think that if someone's listening and they've never they've never toured before i think a great way if it's possible i know it's not possible for everybody but a great way to get your feet wet is to do like merch or something like that that was yeah. my first experience as well because you learn really quickly in any circumstance if it's your first band touring or something like that that you'll learn by the end of that tour who can who can make it work and who can't like yes you will it's, you know, we, we had, uh, our original guitar player didn't, you know, he was only in our band for about a year and a half because touring just wasn't for him. Like he just mm -hmm. could, you know, I, and 
which I, I can't. I can't. <laughs> and like, yo, like I can't put anyone down for it. It's a, it's kind of a miserable existence, especially in, you know, DIY days. But if you can find a way to make it work and you right. see the positive in it, as opposed to the man, I just slept on a hardwood floor three nights in a row. Like I don't have a lot of money, you know, I'm living off like gas station food and yep. whatever. Like, you know, if you can somehow find the beauty in that, then you're going to be fine. You're going to absolutely. Gonna... And it's something that like, if you don't have to do it, you shouldn't do it. You know, like there needs to be a feeling within you. That's like, well, this is going to be difficult, but I have to do this. You know, it's that feeling. I've never once been upset with a member for leaving our band. Cause I'm like, of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go do anything else. Absolutely. I totally get it. Because it doesn't ever really change. It, of course, changes from sleeping on f- floors and, and sleeping bags and $5 a day per diem. But even the grand scope of things of like bands or artists to a pretty high level, it's still not a very comfortable way to live, you know, and, and it isn't natural unless it feels natural to you. Um, and you're totally one of those guys, you know, that like... Um, I, I envy that about you as well, because I can dip in and out of like, I know I have to do it. And then there are moments where I'm like, man, and oh, you know what? And kids made that so much harder too. We were just like, I don't really like being away from them. You know? Oh yeah. Um, I mean, being a family man, that's, that's, I can only imagine the extra added stress. So that's, yeah, it's, and, and it's, but like I said, man, how grateful I'm going to be for it when it returns. I was talking to our bass player, Andy Prince, last night. I was like, you ready for our tour in 2024? That's going to be a four-month U.S. tour. Like, we're playing <laughs> D markets. We're playing E markets. Right, yeah. Yeah, 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 We're yeah. going everywhere. And it'll take you back to actual DIY touring where you're it like, totally Yo, will. We can we can play actually three weeks in California. Let's fucking yeah. do it. Also, no production. (laughs) We're stringing our own guitars. It's it's happening. (laughs) I can Uh, do it. It's fine. Absolutely. Uh, Oh, man. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. I'm sure you've seen it before. Like, I know we felt it before where you tour with a band that maybe once had it all and maybe not so much now. And they can't scale it back. That's 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 brutal. It's a tough thing to see. Like mm-hmm. when you, when bands become reliant upon uh, needing guitar techs, needing drum techs, needing bass techs, you know, like all, like uh, all of the like multiple people running, the, you know, having a having totally. a stage manager, having a tour manager, where you're just like, yeah, it doesn't work without them. That's the, that is that's yeah, exactly big, because the operation's just too big. Yeah, totally. I've I've seen that happen before. We we this year played Hawaii or last year played Hawaii for the first time. And we wanted to go over for a week and hang with everybody and bring our wives. And we had this awesome time, but we also knew that, you know, what we were getting paid in Hawaii meant that we weren't going to be able to bring our crew. Like we weren't going to have the stuff that we are used to having for lucky. We could get our sound guy out there. Um, and it was an awesome feeling to like everybody stringing their guitars up for the show. You know, there's like no lights, there's no whatever, but like we've rehearsed and we're going to go kick ass. So let's do it, you know? So here's, I have a very important question for you. You ready? I'm ready. All right. When was the first time someone angrily called you Ryan, <laughs> called you Randy at a show? And uh, why was it at a brand? <laughs> why was it a Brandy Carlisle fan? <laughs> All right, listeners, I did ask him, and he asked if I would do this. I said, only if you ask me this question. Um, 
So the question was, when was the first time a fan angrily yelled Randy at me? And why was it a Brandy Carlisle fan? Well, I opened up for Brandy Carlisle solo in 2012. I followed her bus around in my Toyota. And um, let's just say the shows that weren't seated didn't go so well in old Randy's favor. Um, <laughs> no one gave a shit. Like no one, no no one could possibly give a shit um, about me during those shows, which was fine. Um, but uh, it was sort of brutal because I was playing an acoustic guitar and like finger picking, and it was just sort of like forty five minutes of just people talking over me the whole time. You know, just like true punishment for a long time. And Brandy was so cool. Her crew was so cool. Like finally, I was like, can I use an electric guitar just to like do something different and they let me use their gear and I ended up going all right once I switched around my sets but there is an epic story where you know or 15 minutes into a show in like Wilmington North Carolina and it's like the show's already over you know what I mean like it's I might as well stand up there I would just stand up there sometimes and just go like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, does it, does it, does it do the thing where it, it channels you back to being a teenager wanting to be rebellious and just like make people mad? Yeah. I said crazy shit. I, I was, and, and my buddy Harrison, who was my tour manager and was basically just driving around with me after one show, he was like, you're not being cool up there. I was like, I know, but I'm, I'm mad, man. It's like so childish. Um, and uh, it, I ended up turning it around, which was good and kind of whatever. But I, during the show, it's like a, you know, it's a tuning break. And it's just like, a, it sounds like a thousand people talking. And somebody's like, we love you, Randy. No. And of course, I thought they meant Brandy. And I was like, yeah, Brandy's great. She's going to be coming up next. And then I heard, not Brandy, you, Randy. I was like, I think this is the worst moment of my life. <laughs> <laughs> man there were a couple of manchester fans that uh would uh see me like they would come to the shows because they heard that i was playing and like they'd they'd see me you know by my car after i finished playing it was like i just got my ass beat in, like a ufc fight they were like what happened in there dude oh. I, was like, I don't know i didn't see it coming dude i got eight more shows oh man <laughs> you know as much as those situations absolutely are just miserable i know what you're gonna say and you're totally right so we need them we need well and we need them it's it's good it's good to get just absolutely kicked straight in the asshole every now and again to be like you know what life ain't always gonna be yeah i I needed it i just finished my first and only right away captain tour and like sold out every venue small you know theaters and clubs and the place was like you could drop a pin, like no one's talking, like the most <laughs> respectful crowd. And then three weeks later, it was like places three or four times that big. It was a great reminder. It was like, you're not, you're not anything, dude. Why don't you calm down? Oh, um, it's, yeah, I was so funny. I agree with you. I, uh, when I interviewed Reba from, from Code Orange, we, we even talked about the similar thing where it's like, um, doing those support slots to, to an audience that doesn't have any idea what you're about are yep it 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 really uh it makes you realize how long those drives to the shows are you know when you're like man i just drove 10 hours to play this show to people that don't give a hell about what i'm doing up here um but they're important you know and it makes you they 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 are when but when you're when you're on one and you've realized that it isn't important anymore that's a bad feeling (laughs) um 
But then, then it comes to like your commitment, you know, that's sort of how I felt, you know, and have felt on certain tours where it's like, oh, I made a commitment. And I'm like, I'm going to go do the thing that I said I was going to go do, you know. And to her credit, she was lovely. Her crew was lovely. And her fans, like I said, when we were in a seated theater, it was awesome because people were like kind of had to watch and then they got into it. But when it was sort of the open standing thing, it was like a party. And I was just like the shitty butler oh, at the front of the stage. <laughs> Yo, I feel like you and I can do this all day. I, you're one of oh, my. I know. You're, you're. I, I don't know if it's a if it's um, noticeable to the listener, but uh, Andy and I have a very uh, good friendship where we can call each other and talk for probably hours and hours. And yeah, hours. we do this on the phone, just exactly this. Yeah, <laughs> for um, a lot longer. And uh, also, it's this will be this will be fun to mention that um, I'm going to spend the rest of my day packing uh, flexies, which are uh, at this point, well, by the time this airs, will arrived at some kids' doorsteps of the yes. first single, the first single off of our record that you were so absolutely kind and nice to. Yes, dude, pleasure is all mine. I I can't stress how uh, how exciting it was when when you texted me that morning when you were recording the vocals for that song and you're like. You're like, hey man, do you do you mind if I actually just write if I have lyrics for this? You're like, of course that's fine. <laughs> like, because I originally, uh, for those listening, when they've heard the song at this point, but like, I, m- I remember just being like, yeah, I hope you they know, like it. You could probably you could probably have some beautiful oohs and o's or you know something like that. And you're like, well, I got all these lyrics. I'm like, fucking use them. Absolutely use them. Well, and, it was uh, so cool to like to try and interpret your lyrics because we never really discussed what your song was about, but I'd read your lyrics a ton. And I love being able to like, I don't know, it was, it was so inspiring. So I was like, oh, I see. Like, here's what I think this character in the song would say, you know, in this kind of moment. Um, and I mean, dude, we've been talking about making music together for so long, pretty much since we met. So just the fact that it happened and on such a, like an amazing record, I'm, I'm totally honored to be on it. I really am. Oh, that's so nice to hear. It's, yeah. I, I like, I was telling Ross, the uh, producer about it where, where I, when I was mentioning to him, I was like, you know, what's kind of cool. Ross is there's a bit of a full circle happening here because on our third record, I, in a song, I talk about meeting Andy for the first time that's and right. it's, in, uh, in a song called to write content. And now, you know, a couple, two records later, he's on the record it's kind of a really cool full full circle story that's uh, cool the backstory so we did that test press raffle where uh the money made goes to went to a couple different black lives matter organizations and Mm -hmm. so people were really really kind we were able to raise like sixteen thousand dollars off people trying to win incredible just three test presses so um the way i looked at it was well let's send one to every single person that tried to get a test press so they so the people that try to get one are all going to get these flexes. Oh, that's amazing. So how many was it? Uh, it's, well, unfortunately, we can only do them to the U.S. So the, the, okay, kind, gotcha. the kind of people. Uh, from, sorry. Yeah, the kind, the kind of worldwide people. I apologize. But uh, so U.S. customers, uh, there's 550 going out. That's amazing. Goes to show people. <laughs> and it's, it, for me, it was like a, a culmination of things where I was like, well, I'm excited to um have this go to people that were nice enough to to try to win a test press it also lets me know that these people have record players or care about vinyl so i know that very true i didn't think about that and on top of that uh 
these are the most recent addresses that I have because this was only like last month. <laughs> They're right here. So, so I have everyone's current address. It's not like, you know, oh, let's send them to our mailing list from, you know, three years for when our, from when our last record right. came out. Andy, seriously, thank you so much for, for doing this. Uh, this My was man. such a blast. This I, I could talk to you all day. And if there's a way to figure out having having you back for a first uh, experiences podcast, I would love to have you back. <laughs> just, <laughs> first experiences. Just with, come up with different first experiences for, for me. You know, like we could get really embarrassing with it. And, you know. Yeah, um, we could, or we could do a whole like uh, first experiences with bad books, first, first experiences with right away great captain. We can, that would be fun. Dude, we didn't even that touch on fun. we didn't even touch on Swiss Army Man. So we got stuff we got stuff we could talk about. We could <laughs> we could do a whole lot on Swiss Army Man. When's the first time you thought you were going to die from being overwhelmed? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, we'll 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 definitely come back to it. I I appreciate your time and um, Dude, I love, I love you, you to death. Thank you for having me on. Well, there it is. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, if you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with your friends, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review on the Apple Podcast page to help the show just kind of get more visible to other listeners. Uh, This is a new project, as I mentioned, so I'm really grateful to be able to share these conversations going forward. So anything you can do to help spread the word is a huge, huge help. Uh, Thanks again, and I'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.